All right, guys. Today we're talking about rogues, and we know that rogues, they tend towards the edge and the character in the shadows that twiddle and like the thief, the rogue, like they all have that kind of flavor to them. And one thing that has always kind of evaded my notice, and I've started paying more attention to it, is whenever you have one of those characters in an awkward situation in popular media, they have something in their hands that they're fiddling with. They're spinning a coin on their fingers, or they have a dagger or a toothpick or something. So guys, my cold open question for you today is, what is your unique token for your rogue to occupy their hands with while the long, awkward tirade from the paladin about truth and justice and law is going down. What is your rogue playing with? Let's roll dice. Yeah, sure. A five. Four. Four. <gasps> oh, roll off. Yeah. Oh, eight. Twelve. In the box, Megan. Shit. I've rolled a lot of eights tonight. <laughs> okay, so Megan, what what is that uh, fidget spinner level bullshit for your rogue? So really enough, I built a character that wore a lot of rings that they utilized as brass knuckles. So I was like, this would be a delightful thing to just put a lot of rings on a rogue and they just collect and steal tons and tons of rings. So whenever someone gets annoyed and takes their rings away, they just replace them with another set. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Jeff? Yeah. Because I do it anyway already, a pocket knife. It's a little on brand for a rogue, but I'm... If I have time to fidget, I'm fiddling, opening and obsessively opening and closing a knife. Yeah. Mm. For for me, one of the things that I really liked with my rogue um, that I played was he was a rock gnome. So I wanted him to have like some sort of little mechanical gizmo that like you could clockwork uh, turn on and just makes little noises or something. Just like some little automaton like that they could just have in their hands that either distracts has some sort of purpose or like a puzzle like a rubik's cube level shit i was imagining right? those random toys that just make a lot of noises when you move them and then like the yeah. like the rogue would be in hiding and all of a sudden just like move it by accident shit <laughs> well i i i have adhd so like i have a couple of these fidget level things i have a lot of little knickknacks on my desk that if i'm ever like just i need to have something in my hands to focus on a conversation i do so like i've got like little stuffies and toys and a series of cubes, like, and dice, dice, dice have always been the thing for me, but. I was just looking around my desk and I realized I tend to like move things and put them in parallel sex sections. So like I have my books and like my phones and then I'll move them into different weird parallel spots. Like I don't have stuff that is specific to this, but I'm realizing that that is now my current fidget. There's, there's, there's a little bit of OCD <laughs> that goes with being a bit of a gamer. Yeah, especially like a D&D gamer, the amount of times the setup to get started with a session, you get your character sheet out, you get your pencil, you put it on the page just right, you get your dice out, you organize your dice in your specific unique way, whether you're putting all of your 20s in a row and making sure they're all up on 20 or like everyone's got their weird fucking thing. For me, and choosing what dice to roll that session. Yeah. Oh, my dice are just chaos. Like, I just I dumped them all on the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. You got like a 70 pound bag full of fucking <gasps> dice. It's probably 10 pounds. Cool. <laughs> My Lanta. <laughs> it's a mimic, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. 
Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Megan, and with me today are Dan and Jeff, and this episode is called, Yes, Thieves Can, No Thieves Can't, Rogues. Thieves can, no thieves can't. Yeah, yeah, you got it. Okay. It makes more sense when you say it out loud. Yeah, that's fair. I I read (laughs) it the first time. I'm like, what the fuck is he trying? Oh, okay. Um, Play on words. We previously covered the arcane trickster, assassin, and thief subclasses in our first rogues episode, which started off with a breakdown of the regular class features and level progression. In our second rogues episode, we went over the inquisitive scout and swashbuckler subclasses, as well as the sections in Xanathar's guide to everything which encouraged players to consider their guilty pleasures, as well as who their benefactors and adversaries are. We can find these episodes on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we've built there. This episode, though, is going to take us back to Xanathar's Guide to Everything for a little while, so we can finish off the last subclass that's left in that book, and then we'll also be diving into the pages of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, where we're going to look at the subclasses presented there, as well as the optional class features. Cool. Mm-hmm. So to get us started, I am going to give a little bit of a refresher on Rogues as a whole, uh, just to kind of give anybody who's new to the podcast or new to Rogues in general, just a little bit of an overview. So when we think Rogue, the main thing we think is sneaky son of a bitch, treacherous treacherous thief, brooding orphan background, living on the streets with knives and cats, (laughs) specifically cats. (laughs) (laughs) I just just roast them. Yeah. Fucking uh, to be fair, they are highly dexterous, slippery sort of character that specialize in light armor, light tools, and light weapons, you know, to help them with their sneaking. <laughs> to help <laughs> and then to help this is, them. <laughs> this is another one of those situations where we really should probably be video because like your little like head, <laughs> they're sneaking. <laughs> like the amount of sass that we would get. <laughs> I'm a sassy human being. Yeah. <laughs> through an audio, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I am a good person. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not. <laughs> to everyone but dance characters in game. That's true. I'm not saying you're not out loud. <laughs> <laughs> smart man, smart man. Anyway, so to help develop their sneaky bullshittery, when building a rogue, you choose from the skill lists that kind of provoke just that, such as acrobatics, athletics, deception, insight, intimidation, perception, investigation, insight, sleight of hand, of course, stealth. Yep. So let's get into a couple of things that they get as they level progress. So in level one, you get your expertise, which simply doubles the proficiency of either two skills you have already been proficient in or one of those skills and then your thieves tools. So that's very specific to like, if you have thieves tools and want to be thievery, you would probably choose that one. Otherwise, to be honest with you, I would probably just pick two skills, but that's just me. There's a certain amount of disabled device, uh, which was a skill in previous editions that these tools now mm-hmm. just kind of take over. And this is like the disarming of traps, not so much breaking into chests, but like figuring out mechanical traps and mechanisms and, and fucking with them that I always put towards thieves tools. Yeah, enough. absolutely. And then at this level, you also get your sneak attack. This is honestly one of the most fought over skills I've ever seen in any role-playing game ever. Like mm-hmm. people that don't understand how it works. People that don't understand how it works, DMs who don't like how it works, players who disagree dumb. with their DM who does not know how it works. And then it's just, I feel like the most fighting I've ever seen in a role-playing game has been to do with, do I get sneak attack? Yeah. Every fucking time. Figure it out. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Megan. The rogue (laughs) in my Strahd group is a DM and asks me if he has sneak attack constantly. That is because the rules for fucking sneak attack are so 
fucking vague. They're pretty vague. So let me like, so let me describe. So basically once per turn, you can add one D6 of damage to an enemy if you have advantage on the attack roll. But you do not need the advantage if there is another enemy of your enemy within five feet or the enemy is incapacitated and you don't have disadvantage. Yeah. So there's just a lot of weird moving components as to whether it happens or not. Like, let's imagine if like someone is within five feet, but is uh, wounded or prone or what have you, then you have to look up what those are. Does that mean incapacitated? Like, there's just so many weird nuances to what this could fucking mean. That's sometimes I'm like, you know what? Just take your sneak attack, my guy. On on the bright (laughs) side, you know, it's only a discussion that comes up once per combat. They don't have like a bonus action to hide behind a shadow oh wait no they do have all these fucking things yeah and it's a yep. fucking sticking point and it's in every single fucking round of combat we love rogues. fucking rogue <laughs> you're god there's i can't i played a rogue i fucking hate rogues mm-hmm. i'm just saying it. i do i love this game rogues are a uniquely necessary class in the game mm-hmm. but man i've now never who's seen having a rogue feelings that doesn't cause problems <laughs> it's true Anyways, and then from here, it does just get more and more shifty. So at level two, you get your cunning action. So it's basically a bonus action that allows for dash, disengage, or hide, which basically gives them the ability to move around as they so see fit. At level five, they get uncanny dodge. They use a reaction to half, basically half the damage used against you, should they want to. And then level seven, you get evasion. So for deck saves, on a save, you take zero damage. And on a fail, you get half. So I don't. it's pretty dope. Anyways. So at level 11, you get reliable talents, which basically means that if you roll a nine or lower for a skill check, it becomes a 10. Never fail a stealth check again. Ever. (laughs) Fucking why? Like, okay, I get it. Make it a five, right? Yeah, like, why is it so fucking, like, auto win? Like, anyway, sorry. We love rogues. At level 14, you get blind sense, aware of the location hiding. So basically you have the awareness of a hiding creature within 10 feet of you. Because why not give the fucking guy who can move around, hide without any chance of failure, that does a fuck ton of damage, the ability to have fucking sonar. To be fair, not often would that person be within 10 feet of you. I guess that's true. To be fair. I have an (laughs) odd thought that something that had never occurred to me. If you're a rogue with reliable talent and you have proficiency in perception, does Mm -hmm. that affect your passive perception? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because your passive perception is just 10 plus your proficiency. Right. So if you're just automatically getting a 10, so it wouldn't affect your passive. It would just, okay. I didn't think of it that way. No, no, no. You you get, it would affect your passive. 100% it would. Well, if your passive is 10 plus proficiency plus your ability modifier, then... Getting a 10, which would well, just no, add it, it's your... 10 plus your your skill modifier is what it is for a passive, right? right? So w- with expertise, you get to add double proficiency for your no, straight up skill. I wasn't thinking of expertise, I was thinking of reliable talent, which oh for reliable talent. Yeah. yeah. So then I realized as we talked it out that no, it wouldn't change. Cool. But yeah. if you were looking at if you chose that as one of your gets double proficiency skills, it would change your proficiency, your um, yeah. passive perception. So like your rogue with reliable talent with a standard dex of say a plus four right. um, at level 10 would have a plus four for proficiency, a plus four for proficiency again, because you have expertise, mm-hmm. a plus four for dex. So you automatically have a plus 12 in a stat. And now reliable talent means you can't roll less than a 10. So you have a minimum plus 22 mm-hmm. in in a game where that where bounded accuracy is a fucking thing and 20 mm. is supposed to be a hard DC to beat even for a level 15. 
But here you are at level 10, just like hand weight. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. We love rogues. We love rogues. <laughs> Rouge. Rouge. I honestly, I think I typed out Rouge nine times when I was doing this. <laughs> anyway, at level 15, you get Slippery Mind, which basically means you gain proficiency in wisdom saves because why the fuck not? <laughs> hey, you know that one possible weakness that they have? Fuck that. Let's yeet it out yep. the window. Yeah. <laughs> At level 18, you get elusive. So uh, basically no attack has advantage against you. Because we love rogues. Because we love rogues. Fucking Watsy. And then finally at level 20, you get stroke of luck, which if your attack misses on your turn, you can basically say, nah, man, that hits. And you get to do that once per long rest. <laughs> <laughs> I rolled an attack. You miss. No, I don't. I nah. guess you don't. Then fine. Nah, brah, that hits. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, these are all things developed so a rogue can dodge everything any of the time, sneak up on anything any of the time, use sneak attack whenever they fuck they want, and then be as ghostly as possible all the time. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Hey, they also <laughs> get subclasses, guys. That's what I was gonna say. So you might no. be thinking you you might be thinking to yourselves, how can we be more creative with this? <laughs> Well, at level three, we have archetypes. <laughs> Could it get any better? Yes. Could yes, it, it get can. Any better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I did mention that we did cover a few of these in some of our last episodes. If you haven't listened to them, feel free to go back and listen to, but we will be covering a couple in today's episode. However, before we do, I want to talk about a few hot takes about rogues from Tashes. So the first one is going to be, you're going to talk a little bit about steady aim, which is a third level class feature that has been added to the rogue pool. And that's key. It's basically been added. It's not removing anything. And it actually in the text says that it's up to DM discretion, whether it was wanting to be used within the rogue pool. So basically what it does is it gives the ability to spend a bonus action to give themselves advantage on an attack roll, but only as long as they stay still. So the wording, however, is kind of important. So I'm actually going to read directly from Tasha's. It's on page 62 of the uh, Cauldron of Everything, if you want to look at it for yourself. But basically, as a bonus action, you give yourself advantage on your next attack roll on your current turn. You can use this bonus action only if you haven't moved during this turn. And after you have used this bonus action, your speed is zero until the end of your current turn. So hot takes. I want to hear you guys' responses. So roll dice. I would like to hear how you guys feel about this and whether or not you as a DM would allow this at your table. Got a natural 20. I got a natural one. (laughs) (laughs) So Dan, tell me your feelings on this one. I really actually like this. Mm -hmm. Um, My whole thing is rogues are annoying. Okay. The vitriol from earlier in the episode, I'm going to let go for a minute and just as a DM rogues are highly maneuverable. They get in and out. They do what they fucking want. And they take a lot of table time arguing about whether or not they get fucking advantage for things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Giving rogues an ability that says, hey, if you use this, not only do you have to stand still, but you guarantee have advantage on a thing saves me time as a DM in a very subtle way. Because now that they have the ability, they'll fucking use it. This Mm -hmm. This isn't a fighter's indomitable that they'll fucking forget. This is a linchpin for their class. And we'll solve so much fucking table time. So yes, I'm I'm a, I'm on board with this. It might seem powerful, but it anchors them to the fucking ground, and it solves a common contention at the table. Absolutely, I hear you. What about you, Jeff? 
I actually have a Soul Knife Rogue at my Strahd table that I allow to use Steady Aim. And when you consider that it's something that would be used in lieu of hide, disengage, or a second thrown dagger, it works perfectly fine. Yep. It hasn't unbalanced anything. And more often than not, he's throwing the second dagger anyway. Yeah. So it's an option in a toolbox with certain scenarios where it's very useful and certain scenarios where it's not as good as trying to throw another dagger. Works perfectly fine. I have no complaints. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the balance definitely is that, like you stop moving and as a rogue stopping moving sucks. So I feel like it is a very, very niche use. Like to your point, you're probably going to use many more of your other abilities before you actually say, Hey, I would like to do this thing because it just, it's very, very specific in my mm-hmm. mind. But yeah. All right. Next hot take. Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot cakes. <laughs> so all of the hey, other- Hey, Dan, do you like waffles? <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Adam is listening to this fucking episode right now, just screaming at his computer. Straight on topic. All right. Second hot take. <laughs> Eventually. All the other classes in Tasha's culture of everything, except for artificers and rogues, get two or three optional features. Artificers are new, so it's kind of understandable, but do you think that rogues only getting one is kind of unbalanced, or do you feel like they should have been a little bit more? Uh, uh, same, same initiative. So, Dan, you can go first. Yeah. I, I don't know how emphatically I can impress. No, rogues are fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, guys, rogues are good. The one, the steady aim, I'm happy. Let's move on. They don't need another fucking thing. Mm-mm. What about you, Jeff? I'm going to agree. Not every class needs a bunch of new stuff. I can totally understand trying to rebalance the ranger or adding expanded spell lists. Rogues don't need more tricks. Mm-mm. They already have all the tricks. Yeah, all already. Of yeah, it's, it's not even like they have a, a healthy amount. Look they are overwhelmingly full of tricks. <laughs> you want tricks? I got tricks. I'm a rogue. <laughs> Oh, my Lanta. There's just like pick a card, any card, literally pick any card because I could do literally anything. Oh, I'm an arcane trickster rogue and now I have fucking spells too. Guess what, bitch? Right. Just like mm. trickery. But you know, I feel like there's something to be said when it comes to creating new content for these characters. It's like it's better to have good and less than a lot and have nothing make sense or be redundant. And I feel like if you were to build anything else for a rogue at this point, it would probably be redundant. How dare you be rational? Well, (laughs) I'm also shocked. (laughs) Oh, man. Hello to all you beautiful people out there in podcast land and hello to all you ugly people out there in podcast land as well. You know who you are. And it... It, 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 it's okay. It's all right. It's, you, God, you're doing your best and we appreciate you. Let's just, let's just say that. Anyway, I just want to remind everybody that we've got a fancy little donate button on the website. We talk about it almost every episode. We also mention the fact that there is a store that you guys can go check out as well, where you can go buy stickers and mugs and, and notebooks and stuff with the It's a Mimic merch out there. I think there's also Deep Darker Radiance on there as well. Every little bit helps us. We're currently trying to work on a couple of big projects as well as bring back a couple of projects that are currently on hiatus. For those of you paying attention, you know what we're talking about. And it goes a long way for us to be able to pay editors, to pay artists, to be able to buy new, better equipment so that we can bring you the highest quality that we possibly can. 
And of course, these damn books are not cheap, and we want to support wizards as best we can. Anyway, the point is, we like providing the best possible quality to all of you out there. We don't run Kickstarters. We don't run a Patreon. We just have this little donate button that's at www.itsamimic.com. And of course, there's the store there as well through Redbubble, uh, which I actually quite like. It's one of my favorite online store interfaces. But that's beside the point. Anything you guys are able to throw at us is muchly appreciated. We appreciate all of you, even the ugly ones out there. Especially the ugly ones out there because you can't have D&D without beautiful monsters like you people. Dan would be fucking horrified if he could hear me say this right now. <laughs> and he did not get to vet this little commercial, so... Um... Let's not tell Dan about this um, strange turn of events. And Anyway, back to the show, shall we? And thank you, in advance, for anybody that's able to help out. In all seriousness, you are the pretty people. All right, so we're going to talk about a little bit into the archetypes that we get. So what I would love to do is roll some dice, as I know that we would like to go through some of these suckers. Let's see who sure, gets to go first. It. Oh, fuck, I'm on fire today, guys. I got a 19. I got a 17. All right. I guess that means I'm going first. Dan, you get to go first. All right. Well, let's take the super balanced, some would say underpowered rogue, and give them the mastermind ability. Hmm. And I will be covering from Xanathar's the mastermind rogue. So the mastermind rogue is, it's a rogue that is going to be more your spy master. They are a people influence, like an information gathering rogue that has a lot of very specific flavor to them. They will excel in more social situations than combat situations. However, there is going to be some combat boons because, hey, fucking rogues, why not? Mm -hmm. um, first things first, at third level, when you choose this archetype, you get Master of Intrigue, which gives you proficiency in disguise kits, forgery kits, and one gaming set, as well as two new languages and half of the effectiveness of the actor feat by making you unerringly proficient in mimicking speech patterns after one minute of conversation with somebody to the point where you will then come off as a native speaker of their language should you speak their language to begin with after doing this minute. What a shitty time to have this ability where like landlines weren't a thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Very much so, right? Like I, I, I see this being useful if like the, you have a lot of, ethnic groups within your world of the same race right like common is your main language but you have regional dialects as well of of common that mm -hmm. that effect if you have that level of depth in your campaign then this is going to be useful but if you don't yeah. then sure right also third level you get master of tactics so you get master of intrigue and master of tactics master of tactics gives you a bonus, a new bonus action use to use the help action. Now, if you don't know what the help action is, it is giving a person advantage on a specific type of role, okay? Mm -hmm. Except with the master of tactics, you have to do this within 30 feet instead of within five feet, like the help action states. So uh, not only can you do this at range as a bonus action, where most people would have to do it right next to them as a full action, you could also do this as long as they could do one of one thing, see or hear you. So you could give someone the help action from around a wall yelling at them. You could give someone 
a help action just from waving your arms across the battlefield. As long as you're 30 feet away, you can give some of the help action, which gives them advantage. On this imagining that, thank you guys. So this gives rogues more of the standard action shit as bonus actions, increasing their versatility and their, and their mobility. And because they needed that more. They yeah, really right? did. Yeah. Right? If I'm looking at everything, they just really needed more. Yeah. yeah. All, all the things <laughs> as bonus actions. <laughs> well, at ninth level, you get to be an insightful manipulator next. That is basically you study a target for a minute to gain knowledge of the specific intelligence score, wisdom score, charisma score, or class levels of the target that you observe for one, at least one minute. Okay. You may also, as a DM's option, realize little pieces of that character's history or vital pieces of their personality traits that you can then manipulate. Hmm. So this is one of those rare meta abilities that gives you score and class level information that you could then extrapolate from there. Right. That's actually kind of neat because it does require DM interaction. It does require DM interaction, but again, having meta abilities like this, that kind of tell you class levels come with them so many different fucking and like this one doesn't even limit it there are some abilities that do it that be like you get to know one of their class levels mm-hmm. right if this is a multi-class paladin warlock sorcerer you get to know all of them and how many yeah it, it's it's fucking nuts anyways at 13th level you get misdirection which if a creature within five feet of you is granting you cover which I don't think I've ever had a creature grant cover before in my games. That just might be a thing I don't do as a DM. But if a creature within five feet of you is granting cover and you're targeted by an attack, you can use your reaction to have that attack hit the guy giving you cover instead. Again, this is going to be one of those things on the battlefield being like, this person's in front of me. Do you think that they're giving me cover right now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They gave them steady aim to remove a fight. And now there's this to add a fight. Because this is on two things. This is one, hey, DM, are they giving me cover? And this is two, hey, Paladin, they hit you instead. Sorry. I, I mean, it. you can <laughs> use it to position, particularly if you're playing like a halfling rogue, you can use this to position yourself so the arrow hits the bad guy in front of you instead of you, to have them shooting each other. And to yes. be fair, Dan, you would be playing a gnome, so. I, I mean, mean, that's that's rude. <laughs> it's accurate, but it's rude. <laughs> Not wrong. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying there. I just also see this being like you stand next to the shield, sword and board sentinel fighter and you just are redirecting attacks to them because you know that they rolled low on AC. So now they're going to just bounce off that guy's AC. That's another tactic you could have here. This yeah. reinforces the idea that you should have a battle map. If you're doing theater of mind and you do this, it's going to be a lot harder than if you have a battle map. It encourages having battle And maps. If, if your DM doesn't like to play with cover, you might just be host. Yeah. 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 Finally, at 17th level, you get the soul of deceit, which means your mind cannot be read. Full stop. You could present fake thoughts with a deception check if you feel yourself being mind, uh, your mind being read. And all magic determines you as telling the truth, even if you're lying through your goddamn teeth. You're immune to zone of truth. You are can lie to, in a zone of truth. You can lie in a zone of truth. You can not only lie inside of the zone of truth, zone of truth will admit that you are telling the truth to do. Yep. On top of that, higher level detect thoughts and shit like that. Don't affect you. Just don't. Yep. Right. If someone can read your mind or have telepathy at range, you are a black spot to them. Mm-hmm. You just straight up don't exist. So that is the mastermind rogue. That's, that's everything we got from that. Love that about them. All right. Let's roll some dice. 
Okay. And then what I would like to hear is either just your thoughts around what a good like race or background or stats or what have you, or if there is a good way to role play this class or any oversights or imbalances that you think might exist for this guy. Sure. A three. three. Twelve. Oh, three. <laughs> three. A 16. Okay, so Megan, you're first. I feel like this is a very oddly specific build. Yes. So don't get me wrong. I feel like it is still quite balanced in the sense where you get all of your shit from being a regular rogue because you get a lot of shit from being a regular rogue. But then you get this weirdly, oddly specific, almost a campaign specific bullshit. Like, that's great that you can sit in a zone of truth and be able to lie. How often does that actually happen? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it's almost like the DM would have to know that you have this ability and like almost give you this boon of having this interaction so you can utilize it. Right. So I feel like that's kind of the balance of, yes, you get all this extra cool shit that gives you good, a lot of good flavor for your character, but I don't think it really counterbalances anything or does anything extra great for, that's just my opinion. So it's taking the rogues bullshit and putting the drive, the DM back in the driver's seat. Exactly. Right. So it's not a bad thing that this exists, but that's my hot take. Who's Um, next? Sorry. For me, Megan, we've mentioned before in some other builds that we've kind of got this ideal social party. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. One second. Are you okay? My phone just started playing a tequila theme. Oh. Oh. I did no fucking idea why. Anyways, I'm gonna say that again. Um. So for me, Megan, you and I have had this social party idea going around with like a order cleric and a glamour bard, right? Like characters who have this bend to a social campaign. Mm -hmm. That's when I'm playing a mastermind rogue. Yeah. If it's a social heavy campaign, I'm playing a mastermind rogue then because all of their abilities are designed for that. And let's be completely honest, help, the help action helps for more than just attacks. Mm-hmm. You can help ability rules. And that that alone, that power right there is what makes me want to play these guys. You can do it, Happy. Yeah, right? <laughs> 100%. Yeah. What I feel you, like... Jeff? Sorry, like I just to to finish that off, Dan. I feel like we do really need to build the good cop, bad cop, where our characters actually get along. That'd be great. Yeah, you have a good <laughs> cop, bad cop, and then you have this scuzzy, like I, I almost want to say, like black market arms dealer level fucking mastermind rogue mm. who's just used car salesman sleazy, and he's one of these masterminds where he's just like, yeah, man, I could get you anything you want. I just I know the guys to ask, right? And and that, that's that's who this guy is. So like. If the good cop, bad cop doesn't work, you can always blackmail the fuck out of somebody, right? And that's when the mastermind comes in. True enough. What about you, Jeff? What are your thoughts? I really like the idea of playing this as a UNT or a changeling. Mm, mm-hmm. Yep. This is a seriously social roleplay heavy class, as we've now covered. Take that, crank it up to 11. You are now all about manipulation as not a bard. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like that that flavor of like, this is a super sketchy person who is just very, very good at getting what they want out of a conversation. 100%. That that good cop, bad cop nonsense of whether you use intimidate or deception, one of you will get there. I love that. Awesome. So maybe, uh, Jeff, do you want to take us through whatever you get to show, for us, show and tell for us today? Oh, man. So I'm covering the soul knife rogue out of Tasha's. And we have a nice little quote. Tasha says, I also have the ability to manifest my thoughts in ways that cut people. I call this power words. So, okay. Hi, Adam. 
Yeah, Fuck. this is Adam. <laughs> yeah. The more we get into this, the more you will understand that this is Adam. Mm. Yeah. All right. My psyche is deeply scarred by decades of yes. friendship with that man. Yeah. Um, the soul. <laughs> The Soul Knife is a rogue that focuses on sharpening their mental abilities to the point of bearing their mind on the opponent or obstacle in the form of psychic abilities. Between using psychic knives, telepathic communication, and other abilities, any normal-looking unarmed person could wind up being a formidable enemy. Hmm. Okay. So, at third level, we get the psionic power trait. You begin to manifest psionic power. I know that's a swear word for a lot of people. Yes. This is represented by your psionic energy die, which starts as a D6 and increases in size to a D8, a D10, and a D12 at levels 5, 11, and 17, respectively. Mm-hmm. You have as many dice as twice your proficiency bonus. These dice are used to power the abilities that the subclass grants you. You can regain one die as a bonus action, but you can't do it again until you complete a rest, short or long. Okay. You regain all of them at a long rest. So... Oh. These are going to power various abilities that this subclass gets. The first of which is called a Psy-Bolstered Knack. When you fail an ability check with a skill or tool you're proficient with, you can use one of your psionic energy dice and add it to your roll. You only expend the die if you succeed. Oh, okay. I like that. I like It's kind of like using your own brain to inspire yourself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you don't lose it if you fail. Honestly, right. things like Bardic Inspiration, I know the Eloquence Bard has a mechanic in there that specifically does that for all of their Bardic Inspiration, right. but fucking man, that should be part of just stock Bardic Inspiration, right? I'm also thinking Spending sorcery time. points, like expending your sorcery like, points for shit, like, and it doesn't pop off. Just if every bard can't boost their own ego, and bards are all narcissists, let's be real here, mm. what is going on? Yeah. Mm. Talk, like, all right. Anyway, (laughs) the next ability is Psychic Whispers. As an action, you can speak telepathically with a number of creatures up to your proficiency bonus, and they can speak to you, just Mm. you. Roll a psionic energy dice, and the number rolled is the number of hours it lasts. You have to be within a mile of each other, and the other creature has to speak a language, but it doesn't have to be one you understand. Within a fucking mile? Yeah. Yes. An affected creature can end the effect without an action. So if you're doing this to somebody that doesn't want to be talked to, they can make it stop. But they can't stop you from starting it. Uh, (laughs) You only only consume a psionic energy die after you've used this ability for the first time each day. So the first one's free. You roll it for the duration, but you keep the psionic energy die. So the first time you do this every day, it's free. And you only expend a die for each subsequent one. So... I, as I mentioned earlier, I have a soul knife in my Strahd party, and this is basically like walkie-talkies, but the soul knife is the relay. So mm. if you have a split party, and this has come up, where half the party is over here and half the party is over here, this person talks to the rogue who talks to the other person who talks back to the rogue who talks back to the first person. Oh, that's that's my Game of telephone, man. Oh my god. That's my fucking, <laughs> like, I've had conversations with, like, mutual <laughs> friends of my wife's. Yeah. And and they'll and she'll be like, oh, ask them this. And then ask them this. And that's what I'm just like, do you want to just fucking take the phone? I'm not your messenger. Like, I'm not, I'm so, not. so that's that's why I specified they can speak to you. They can't speak to each other. They can yeah. only talk to you. Mm. Yeah. So the, yes, 
you it doesn't specify that it has to be a willing creature it's just a number of creatures within a mile of you I just, so there's a tiktok trend going around right now with the like james brown uh start to i feel good like i feel good na, 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 na. it's that scream but like you play it on oh, a speaker yeah, 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 suddenly yeah, 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 at full yeah. volume it's got the fuck mm-hmm. out of somebody mm-hmm. and you, you film the reaction you just do that with this just like the one like NPC that's just a constant thorn in your character's side and you got this like prank rivalry back and forth. You just scream at his brain when he's least expecting it just for free, just for fun, just the fucking why not, right? And you could be a mile away, right? You you can be a complete absolute fucking creep and do this into the minds of someone you're trying to get past mm-hmm. and just start saying crazy shit to them in their head. They don't have to know it's you. They don't even have to know you. You don't even have to see them. No. Buddy, I'm just... Gassed. Fucking rogues, man. Fucking... Rogues! We love rogues. All right. So... (laughs) So, also at third level, you get the Psychic Blades ability, which is kind of the cornerstone of the subclass. Anytime you take the attack action, you can create a Psychic Blade in a free hand and attack with it. It's a simple melee weapon with the Throne and Finesse properties, so it qualifies for sneak attack and a 60-foot range with no long range. On a hit, it deals 1d6 psychic damage plus the modifier from the ability that you use to make the attack. So your decks, realistically. The blade vanishes after the attack, whether it hits or misses, and does not leave a mark. Hmm. After you attack with a psychic blade, you can use your bonus action to attack with another psychic blade if you have a free hand to summon it into. The second attack is a d4, not a d6. That's fucking malicious. Hmm. yep there is no wound there is no wound end of story you are straight up fucking kill you straight up fucking kill a guy and the only thing you could come up with is his brain just decided to stop functioning yep right (laughs) just explodes Mm -hmm. internally absolutely all right so at ninth level we have the soul blades feature this ability adds a few features to the psychic blades we have homing strikes which allows you to roll a psychic energy die to a missed attack roll and add it to your attack if it hits you expend the die Fuck. okay right the next is psychic teleportation which allows you to use a bonus action to summon a psychic blade expend a psychic energy die throw the blade at an unoccupied space a number of feet equal to 10 times the number rolled on the die and then teleport to that spot. 10 times the number rolled on the die? Right. So if you roll a D6 and it comes up a six, you teleport 60 feet. 60 feet. feet. Okay. At higher levels, if it's the D10, that could be 100 feet. Except the knife has a range of 60 feet. Correct. So you're still so going to be limited by that. Weird. It's a bonus action. So yeah, you can bonus action, poof. And you can do this up to double your proficiency modifier number of times if you do absolutely nothing else with your PE die. Double? double? Oh my god. That's how many die you have. I you guess have that's, your but, uh, yeah, I guess that's energy true. die. But you don't expend them unless they actually pop off. Like if it fails, For, you get to keep the or... This one you expend regardless. Okay. Regardless. The other ones so far you only expend if you succeed. Okay. Okay. I guess that pissed, makes it better. <laughs> and that pisses me off, right? Like there's so many things in there that are resource management in this game that just fail if you have bad luck. Yep. And mm-hmm. now you have a and uh, and there are a limited number of them. And Rogues now you're sitting at a thing that has bad luck though. Yeah, ever. right. And and so I start now. Boggles my mind because like you have these like psychic knife warriors who have a resource pool 
mm-hmm. over and above what your fucking barbarians have with rage or your sorcerers will have with sorcery points and and it's a fucking subclass and you're defeating main class level traits it yep mm, mm-hmm. i love rogues right we- so like at the end of at end game levels you have up to 12 of these die you can use fucking yeah. fuck. that's a lot yep all right, so at 13th level, we have Psychic Veil. You can use an action to turn yourself and anything you're wearing or carrying invisible for up to an hour or until you dismiss it. If you deal damage to a creature or force a creature to make a save, the invisibility ends. This does not end if you miss an attack roll. It's if you deal damage or force a save. So if you, you attack ex- them and miss, you're still invisible. Yep. You can expend a PE die, a psychic energy die to use the feature again or complete a long rest to use it again. So you do it once, long rest to recharge, or burn one of your die to be able to do it again. Okay, but do of I get which, sneak attack? Of which by level 13, <laughs> you have eight of these die. Okay. Okay. I love I'm, I'm, I'm so actively trying to restrain uh-huh. the rage. I, yeah, I gotcha. I feel it. Mm. All right. At 17th level, our final feature. We have Rend Mind. When you do sneak attack damage with your psychic blades, you can force the target to make a wisdom save. Your DC is eight plus proficiency plus dex. If they fail, they're stunned for a minute. The stunned creature gets to repeat the save at the end of their turn to end the effect. You can do this once per long rest or expend a psychic energy die to use it again. Okay. <sighs> like th- th- there's a point with the subclass where it's just so powerful that, man, like I... I, I... <sighs> And this one isn't oddly specific, not no. unlike not unlike the mind one. Like this mm-hmm. one is universal. It can be used against anything. It can be used at any time against anyone. There's no oddly specific storyline that is required. Right. Like it just the, the mastermind was overtly social role play. This is overtly combat, combat and fuck with people. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have some feelings? Do we want to roll and share some feelings? Yes. Some fairly <laughs> strong feelings. Let's, let's roll some dice. Roll some dice, fam. All right. 11. 17. <laughs> roll to 16. But yeah, so same as we have been doing, give me some thoughts on either this overpowered, underpowered, if you have some certain classes that you have in mind that you would go with this, races, that kind of stuff. What are your general thoughts of these guys? Dan, first. Okay. So judgments aside, mm. judgments is off the table. They've left the room. Mm. we're just going to talk about the things about this that I like one. I got nothing. So, okay. Judgments is coming back in. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm playing this as a Kalistar. I'm playing this as somebody who has some psychic bend to them already or aberrant bend to them already. Anytime psionics is brought into a game, it gets fucking weird. And they were doing so well with a couple of the other psychic classes that we've seen, some of the classes we've seen up to this point. They were doing pretty good with them. This is too much, y'all. Like this is <laughs> this is this is too rogues get a lot. You just you just gave them a double scoop. And it's just fucking players are lactose intolerant. They only get one scoop. Otherwise, they're gonna stink up the room. Like let's just fucking move on. Mm. I, I cannot stand the 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 soul knife, man. Like it's for a so combat focused game, having a class like the rogue that is so combat focused and also so social focused and also so exploration focused, right? Like, I don't know. I, if, if I am to be completely objective about this, it is a very powerful subclass. It has got some heavy DM 
required intervention that will be involved and will bring up arguments at the table all the fucking time. <laughs> so I am not the person to say, don't allow things at your table to be really honest. Uh, use whatever it is, approach the soul knife with caution. And again, veteran DMs, veteran players. This, these are not things for new, new people to D&D. Yeah. Right. I mean, for me, like, to be fair, if I was going to be building a rogue and I was looking at archetypes, this would probably be the one that I would choose just because I feel like it suits me as a person. And yeah. I love my I love my psychic and psychotic nonsense. So I feel like I, I would enjoy playing this a lot. However, I know, I know that I'd be pissing somebody off at the table, whether it's the monk that I'm doing everything better than they would ever do. Yep. <laughs> Whether it's like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like I just do everything better. Better. And like, I, I would just be so frustrating to have built a character and you were playing against, if you're playing on a, in, in a team with this person that built this character and they just did everything better than you all the time, you would just get like, so inside your brain being like, I would like to punch this rogue in the face. Like it, it'd be so hard to balance. And again, to your point, DM intervention and like conversation is needed. And um, it's interesting to hear, Jeff, that you have a player who's playing something like this and isn't enjoying it. So I'm absolutely interested to hear what your thoughts are. So Jeff, it has, it, it has nothing to do with the subclass and more to do with the player not really feeling rogue as a player. Mm -hmm. We're also relatively, we're at level six. So we're not getting into the, any of this super crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So one of the things that is worth thinking about with this subclass this is a character that can be fully effective in combat in places where everyone else has to give up their weapons. Yep. Like the Blade Pact Warlock. Mm -hmm. If you take Deception Expertise, you can get yourself in places where absolutely no one else can get to without nerfing themselves. Mm -hmm. This is your stab a guy with an icicle and it won't leave a murder weapon guy. Yeah. You walk in empty-handed, murder a guy, leave no trace, and walk away social infiltration this is a guy that goes with your bard to the dinner party or the political party this is something i wouldn't personally dump charisma with i would make sure you can be deceptive with this mm. this is an assassin that's not hiding this is an assassin that's in plain sight with empty hands if you want to play an assassin that's bored but you're bored with the assassin archetype try this this is a better assassin than the assassin <laughs> yeah and if you multi-class this with but with, with with bard forget it yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Out the fucking window. Whether or not you're prone to turning your nose up every time someone says the word psionics. Yes. Holy shit. You can, you can fuck some shit up in social role play in a way that no other class can. Because, sorry guys, look, I, I couldn't have done it. I didn't kill the guy. There's nothing in my hands. I don't even have a knife. Jeff, I, I'm I not got even a question. here. <laughs> when you are casting your soul knife, does it... I'm getting very strong Psylocke feels from X-Men with this character. So is there a tangible, visible effect for the soul knife? Does it say like purple energy or eldritch energy or some sort of thing? So the first sentence of the psychic blades feature is you can manifest your psionic power as shimmering blades of psychic energy. So while they're in your hands, at least there is something visible in your hands. They disappear after they either hit or miss. So it's not like you're just going like, you know, throwing your hand and nothing comes out. It's after the assassination is complete that there's no trace. During uh, no trace during the attack, it is obvious that you're attacking someone with something. So so it's a shimmering psychic energy as a descriptor. The fuck is that? 
Is it a odd, like a heat wave in the air that kind of shimmers? Is it straight up purple electric energy that is coming off your hand? Like, I mean, I guess that depends on the DM in our particular campaign. We haven't gotten super crazy with it. Just sort of that there yeah. are weird, like shimmery see-through knives in their hands. Whatever, like we haven't gone that far into descriptors, but you could certainly, there's room to flavor it however fits your character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, no joke. No, it's, it's really not. Well, guys, as you have been able to tell, a lot of rogues can feel fairly Mary Sue in your <laughs> games. There is not a lot a rogue can do wrong, and they are always going to succeed no matter what the stakes are stacked against them. They're a powerful class mechanically and cause, can cause a new DM a lot of strife and, and stress. From overflowing with edge to stealing from the party, a rogue also necessitates some additional social thought. So as a DM, if you want to enable fun, but also constantly encourage your rogue to think of more than themselves in and out of combat, the solution I have found is NPCs. As much as you want your, your edgelord rogue to float around and doesn't care about anybody, has no attachments, hasn't set down roots anywhere, whatever edge reason they have, Taylor makes some NPCs for that lone wolf rogue to get attached to. Have them be the source of praise and adulation that every rogue player desires. Because the reason you're playing a rogue is so that everyone else could see how badass you are. Mm -hmm. So give them that NPC that gives them that adulation that they so desire so that you can then leverage that NPC to bring the rogue into the drama and actually give a damn about something. Because the only way that you mitigate the hyper- mechanical superiority that a rogue has is through social role-playing and that's it right Mm -hmm. you gotta hit them with the feels you gotta hit them in the role-playing because they're gonna win if it's a mechanical shakedown so (laughs) give give them a fucking fan base (laughs) give them a fan base man if they want to be a superhero legit let them be a superhero have give them a fan club and then slowly destroy the fan club or make the fan club be like a cult of fathomless fathomless warlocks who are just sitting there like drowning people (laughs) in your name call that right so call forwards you can can directly reference that back to campaign one of critical role with a kid that wanted to be vax yeah do Hmm. it fucking do it it is the way you get your rogues into your party if you'd like to send some psionic daggers in dan's direction for all the rage he's thrown out in the last however long it's been fuck you i'm immune you can find (laughs) dan as well as the rest of the it's a mimic team on instagram at it's a mimic on facebook on the it's a mimic facebook page and at r slash it's a mimic on reddit there is the Email address info at itsamimic.com if you'd like to send Dan pictures of how mad you are about his outrage <laughs> over psychic knives and try to deal him some psychic damage. Uh, we also are always taking mailbag questions on r slash itsamimic. There is a pinned post as well as to the email address, the Instagram inbox, etc. All right. So I'm going to take you through the last archetype of the season. <laughs> and that is the Phantom. Cool. So, and a quote from Tasha, collecting the souls of your defeated foes in everyday objects. What a good idea, though I'd probably need an encyclopedia to hold all my anti-admirers. <laughs> so this will make sense as I go through it. 
can I just hang out with Tasha? I, she she my seems friend? Like, I feel like she'd be my bestie. Like <laughs> just for life. I feel like I just need her in my life. I think we all need a Tasha in our lives. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. <laughs> all right. So if rogues couldn't get brooding enough, let's bring, <laughs> let's bring them as close to death as possible. Uh, and this is what you get. So the Phantom Rogues are thought to have gained innate powers from being close to death, whether that be through their bloodlines past or just generals hanging out with the undead. And basically brings upon some strange abilities. So first off at third level, you do get what's called Whispers of the Dead. So basically after short or long rest, you can pick a skill to be proficient in, as if we needed more. And this sticks with you until you're, the next time you choose a new skill. <laughs> So this could be like anything that you were not skilled in and proficient in, you can now just decide to be proficient in after a long rest. Uh, yeah. So to be fair, don't get me wrong. If you were going to be reading a book of history, you aren't suddenly a master of history. You are still using your regular skill number. You are just now adding your proficiency bonus to it. So yeah, there's that. So basically in a dungeon crawl or a long adventure, this can be handy, I guess, as you never know when you're going to be able to like, you never know when being a blacksmith is going to be handy or, you know. <laughs> like, like I'm just picturing like the rogue watching someone else be bad at something for 10 minutes and just being like, all right, give me that. I'm taking I've, a set of tools out right. of their hands and doing it for them. It's like, I've never um, swung a hammer before, but I'm a better carpenter than you NPC. Fuck off. <laughs> Again, yeah. if if you yeah. never if you weren't mad at your rogue for being good at everything before, <laughs> you are now. <clears throat> I, I I really I really don't want to. The the past <laughs> hour of this episode does not support my claim here, but I don't want to spend our entire time shitting on rogues. <laughs> but they get I along. mean, they make it so easy to shit on. They they really do. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like I I feel like not necessarily are we shitting. I feel like we're shitting on them in the sense that they are amazing. So good. So they're good. So awesome. good. So As a great. Player, they're incredible. As a DM, they're fuck frustrating. You. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, to our tips and to our points we've talked about through this entire episode, I feel like at the end of the day, if you want to play one, it just utilizes utilize communication. And understand that conversations need to occur. You can't just build this as it is and hope that it's going to go great. <laughs> like, let's remember rule number one of Dungeons and Dragons. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and always talk to your kobolds. Um, so also one at third level... <laughs> so at third level, you gain what's called whales from the grave, which is a neat like little the trick. the swimmy ones? No, whales as in like... As in like <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait, wait. Okay. Which one was that? <laughs> what was those. that? What was you that know, impression? You got you know, the, one. the 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 whaley one, the whaley whale. Oh, okay. Yeah. The whale like, whales. The, like the whaley whaley whale? Yeah. When okay. Dory is trying to speak in whales from the grave. Okay. How are you? Stop it. <laughs> that makes this that much better. So, basically it's a neat little trick that if you deal sneak attack damage to your creature, which obviously you will, your both your ghost friends will give you a helping hand, and you can target a second creature within thirty feet. You basically just roll half the damage, half the dice of the sneak damage, rounded up. They also take necrotic damage that is equal to the roll's total, and is described as the screams of the dead ringing in their ears. Are they immune to it if they're deaf? Uh, it does say that you have to be able to hear it. Okay, so cool. Yeah, sure. uh, can only be used as many times as your proficiency bonus, and then regained after a long rest. So I guess that's the balance? Question mark. It's more balanced than we've seen with other things that they've been given. Yeah. So then at ninth level, you get tokens of the dead. This one I actually enjoy. So uh, it, it's, it's got a lot of flavor to it. So 
Whenever a creature dies, you trap a sliver of its life force within a trinket. The creature must be within 30 feet upon death and you must have a free hand. So sorry to your two weapon wielding rogues. Fuck off. There is a table to roll from to kind of figure out what trinket it is, but I feel like this is a great opportunity to be creative with either yourself or your DM to try to figure out what your trinkets kind of look like. And you can carry a max amount of trinkets equal to your proficiency bonus. These trinkets can be used for three different things. One, while you have a trinket, you can have advantage on death saves and constitution saves, because why the fuck not? The whole concept is- Not even paladins get this shit. I know, right? But I guess it's the whole concept that you're so close to death that it doesn't scare you and you have the ability to dodge around it. What edgelord fucking rogue is afraid of death? Each one of them welcomes it like a warm embrace. Mm -hmm. We love rogues. Uh, (laughs) Number two, when you deal sneak attack damage, because you always will, you can expend a trinket to release whales from the grave without using up a slot. Sure. So you can it's use, way more you can, fun if you think of them as fucking whale ghosts. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And third, you can, as an action, you can destroy the trinket and ask the soul one question. However, it responds in its own language and has no obligation to be truthful to you whatsoever. So it's kind of an interesting way of getting a different type of information out of something, but I feel like its first response to you is, why the fuck did you kill me? Die in yeah. a fire. I will tell you nothing. <laughs> um, he, hey, DM, have some homework. Now you have to remember what every single trinket I get, what NPC or monster it comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have a limited amount of trinkets. Yeah. You can only be carrying a certain amount at a certain time. I think the hard part is if you do end up trapping a soul that you end up keeping for a long period of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so like, hey, I've got track. this thing that says trinket of James the commoner. What does... What does he have to say about things? It's like yeah. the, we- the, the whisper from this. I don't remember my life. <laughs> I don't remember a day. The last thing I remember was you literally eviscerating me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and here we are. <laughs> teacher, teacher, you forgot the homework. Is I, Okay. I know we're shitting on it as we do with rogues right now. But at the same it time. Sound a lot, it's a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. So if you do have a table that's small enough, in my mind, you have to be playing something like this in a small table so that you're not taking up too much fucking table time with your bullshit. But I just feel like it would be a lot of fun to interact. And again, a different way to get information out of something. And it'd be hilarious because like, be like, oh, this guy's not talking. I'm going to kill him and take his soul and then ask him one question. It's like, it's not going to get any better from there, but that's fine. But I I think it's a cool little thing. Mostly just because I like trinkets. (laughs) It does sound like fun. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then at level 13, we get ghost walk. So you can loosely travel between the living realm and the realm of the dead. You are a ghost. It is a bonus action to pop off and you become astral and and you kind of hover with a flying speed of 10. Attacks against you are at disadvantage. Okay. This lasts for 10 minutes or unless you drop it and then you regain it after a long rest. Or you can destroy a trinket for this. So you could just be like, I'm a ghost. (laughs) You can walk through fucking walls with this. Yipper, you are an astral ghost. And and what, what interest would a rogue have with just walking through walls? There's no rogue that I know with that would want to walk through. No, 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 not a one. This doesn't completely like negate any and every heist mechanic that you have, which a rogue is going to want to do because they're a goddamn rogue. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, I guess zones of anti-magic shield would, would keep you out, mm. but it's true. No. And then finally at level 17, you get death's friend. You are one with the spirits and you gain two buffs. One, 
your whales from the grave can now deal necrotic damage to both creatures, not just the second creature. Okay. And then at the end of a long rest, a soul trinket just appears in your hand. And I think that if this you is- you don't have any. Yeah, if you have a free hand. And uh, yes, because you can only have as many trinkets up to your proficiency bonus. So if you've just had a heavy day and you've used all of your soul trinkets, another one just appears the next yep. morning. You, you get a free one. You get a free guy. So I think that this one is fun in the sense where, one, if you as a character go all the way to level 17 as a rogue and don't cross class, it's pretty cool. And like, yeah. two, I think it's a lot of fun where this is where the DM gets to choose who's in that trinket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I think is a really good nugget for the DM. Again, I feel like it'd be fun for a DM if this was a smaller table where you're not dealing with 19 personalities and you only have two or three people that you have to deal with. Having one of these in your party would be kind of fun because you do get to play a couple of different characters and fuck with them a little bit. I know we're shitting on rogues a lot, but for a 17th level feature, that feels pretty weak. Yeah. Yeah. But but rogues get enough. We're at the point where we can talk about our feelings. So let's roll some dice. I got six. 11. 13. Amazing. So Jeff, you're first. So as per usual, let us know your thoughts, your feelings, emotions around this uh, archetype of class and what your thoughts are. I think it sounds like a lot of fun as much as we're talking shit. It does Hmm. sound like a lot of fun as a player, which I don't get to be that often these days. I want to play this as a ghostwise halfling. Mm. I think the flavor fits. I think it would be fun. I think incorporating the themes of the subclass into a character build would be a lot of fun. And I would play it whimsical and silly to break the edgelord tropes in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Elite, playing someone that's Elite. in touch with a reverence for death and the dead, but is just kind of like whimsical about it. Yeah. It leads very naturally to being very edgy. So I, me too, man. I'm, I'm right with you. I'd want to break that. I can imagine like a Luna Lovegood. Yeah. And kind yeah. of like, oh, here's my spirits. <laughs> also, because every animal is getting its own race now, mm. I'm going to wait until we get squirrel people and all of the tokens of the dead are acorns that I stuff in my cheeks. <gasps> well done. Okay. Adorable. I hate squirrels, <laughs> but cool. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that. That's very cute. Megan, what do you think? Honestly, I, I really like this one. Mostly just because I, I love a good dark and twisty character. I love a lot of bullshittery, but also because it does play into a lot of, it requires a lot of role play, even though it doesn't look like it on the surface. Yeah. Okay. So I know as a player, I struggle with when, when a DM says you can ask it one question, I will spend three hours trying to figure out what question I want to ask it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you, know, you always want it to be perfect. Right. So it's such an interesting trope of, yes, you have this ability, but how fearful are you of asking the wrong question all of the time? So it's almost like I would want to play into that mental scape of like, yes, I would love to do this, but somebody tell me what to ask because I don't know what to ask. Like, <laughs> anyways, I think it would be a lot of fun. I do enjoy it. I don't think it adds too much. Like a few of these other archetypes added a whole lot of extra overpowered nonsense. Whereas I feel this one was just pure flavor. Okay. Except for the whales, but you can here, go <laughs> Here is my opinion of rogues in general they are such a powerful class that the subclass needs to exist solely to inject flavor into them Mm -hmm. it's kind of like fighter in the same way their main class has so many core like mechanics that they don't really have a lot of inbuilt flavor to them yeah their Mm -hmm. subclass needs to bring flavor into them yeah i like this rogue. i like the phantom rogue because it it puts in flavor where I have troubles with the psychic and where I have troubles with the, I mean, the mastermind does it really well as well, where it injects a lot of flavor. 
into it. But my problems with the, with the uh, psychic, the soul knife is there's flavor, but the flavor is a side dish to additional mechanical shenanigans. Yeah. And I feel like the additional mechanical shenanigans need to be the side dish to the flavor. Right. So like, I like this. It really, it really cuts the, the bitter taste of the rogue in my DM mouth. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with this guy. I like it. If I was to play one of these guys, I would be like Jeff. I'd avoid the edge as much as I could to it. Mm -hmm. And I would play kind of like a Jackie Chan level character, right? Like just kind of goofy, kind of Zen, Zen and (laughs) and creative. Like my combats with rogues need to be creative, right? It's not just positioning to find a good spot to sneak attack. It is using items, interacting with the environment and the battlefield to be able to have a fun turn, right? Because just relying on sneak attacking every turn, it just gets dry. So yeah, this phantom guy adds a lot of weird shenanigans to your character. So I'm I'm okay with weird. I'm not okay with overbalanced mechanical bullshit. Yeah, I feel that. Okay. All right, with that said, let's roll some dice and I wanna hear some uh, creative builds from you. Sure. And I'm really not rolling all that hot right now. I got a three. Eight. 17. <gasps> Jeff, you're first. Tell me what you got. All right. So in the spirit of psionics being a bad word, I'm <laughs> building a character that is basically DM's bane. Mm. You this, can. Why not? This is a changeling. I know I've said that word before in this episode. Soul knife rogue, multi-class with College of Whispers bard. You're a bad man. Oh, this is a noble background. This is a guy who has been in the employ of a powerful nobleman for most of their life as a professional spy and assassin, but not for skulking in the dark. They're used to being at parties and rubbing elbows with royalty. Only the master himself ever knew he wasn't a blood relative and was treated like a favorite nephew, but the nobleman has died. The succession got bloody, and now the favorite nephew has a dead disguise and has to make a name for themselves without any of the advantages they once had. Mm. Okay. You basically made Agent 47 from Hitman, and I'm about it. <laughs> you can change your face, intimidate anybody. The College of Whispers Bard stuff synergizes in a really ridiculously powerful way with Soul Knife. This is a character that will make your DM hate you. Yeah, this is, this is fuck your intrigue, I'm going to just stab it. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> with no weapons. With no weapons. And the Fuck whisper- your intrigue, I'm going to add my own intrigue and replace yours. So that hard work bard- you did also gets a psychic blades ability that allows you to like do psychic smite on top of psychic daggers from oh for the love okay i love this i love it megan what you got all right so for me uh honestly when i was thinking about the phantom gentleman person my first thoughts i know my first thought was like of course you're dark you're dark and twisty tiefling like you're your drow or your half elf or what have you but i'm just like "Mm, i like birds lately so (laughs) why not turtles i know right like but can you hear me out here so why not a kenku so when you speak to your team all you do is squawk and repeat what they can say as per usual however but you utilize your trinkets to channel the voices of those within the trinkets cool Mm-hmm. So, and you don't, in mind, this would be very hard to role play in the sense, because it would have to take a lot of strong, like one-on-one with your DM to figure out what that would look like. But in my mind, this would make a really good NPC. 
and to oh, be like, yeah. yeah, like just like either I'm either of the big, big bad in the end, the one that fools you into thinking that like they're a part of your team or what have you is helping you along the way. But in the end, turns out to be your big, big bad close to death, kills your team. Love that. Collects your team in trinkets. Dope. Because in my mind, guys, tell me if you would you would do this or not in your campaign. If one of your players was to go down like a PC, would a part of could you put a part of their being into a trinket? Because it's not? not it's not a soul. It's just a piece of their essence. So I feel like this Kenku would be gathering essences from your team over time. Every time they die, wouldn't tell them, but is gathering these little pieces of essences from their team and then using it against them as they go along. I just feel like it would be a lot of fun. I like the idea of them being forced to interact with this Kenku rogue. They ask this person a question, a piece of information that only this Kenku rogue can have. And they look back up at the party, they cock their head to the side, they pull something out of their pocket, squish it, listen to it, and then just shake their head no. Yeah. Oh, I love it. My, my <laughs> favorite with this would be your party having to interact with this Kenku. They take the thing out of the pocket, they squish it, they listen to it. And then in the exact same voice as the person who's asking the question, because that character died three weeks ago and had a, a resurrection spell on them. So in their exact voice answers the question. Gives them well, their own wisdom back. Yeah. Here's a good point. If the, so the spirit appears to you and answers in a language in life, the Kenku can then repeat that exact message in the voice of the person whose yep. soul mm-hmm. the trinket is a part of. That yeah. could get fun and weird. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. For for my mastermind build, honestly, Megan, I stole a little bit of my thunder with the Kenku. I would go Kenku with Ooh. with the mastermind rogue purely because this this mimicry of uh, voice and this oh, yeah. information gathering, I always found really really interesting with a race that at base nature has severe communication issues, right? So. Yeah. So I really like the idea of a mastermind uh, Kenku uh, gathering all this information and then um, like uh, and using that against the party in whatever way it is. But every single time they're trying to disseminate this information to the party, it's in other people's voices that they expertly mimic. Right. Thought that would be really cool. But since Megan stole my thunder and went Kenku, I'm going to say Kobold. A Kobold mastermind rogue just sounds fun and with the very ground level petty awareness that a cobalt has where like their entire world is their is their cave systems and their uh, network of caves and a dragon and you have this incredibly intelligent incredibly manipulative uh, cobalt whose interests are so small and so like they're not a big picture person at all, but they are expert manipulators still. And playing that weird dichotomy sounds like a lot of fun to me. Yeah. That, that character breaks the Megan rule. Do not talk to this kobold. Yeah, don't talk they to this kobold. They will ruin your shit. Yes. They will the ruin kobold. your shit. They'll be able to mimic you perfectly. They'll know way too much about you. Don't yep. talk to that kobold. Yeah. And like, this is the kobold to me that's like, uh, looks at you for a minute as we're having conversations and just goes, man, that wart on the side of your face must really bother you. Hey, sticks out. And like, they just pull on your insecurities that they find as your, as like your character's insecurities are like, yep, man, fuck you. Just fuck off. (laughs) Just, just fuck off right now. Yeah. Right. But it would have a shirt that says, please talk to me on it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh man. I love it. Talk to you about your car's insurance. Yeah. So just a moment, guys, final thoughts. How do you feel about these archetypes rogues in general? I know we, I feel like our feelings were spoken a lot about today, but any final thoughts from y'all rogues? I know what rogues have a place. I like Mm -hmm. rogues. I do. They are mechanically powerful. Like they're just powerhouses. So Mm -hmm. as a DM, having a rogue in the party always requires okay there's a saying at least in uh the churches that i grew up in where there was somebody who had a little bit more uh like it required a little bit more energy to deal with them they called them extra grace required people (laughs) okay so if somebody had no filter or had some sort of awkward social thing right you say they're perfectly acceptable they're lovely they're just a little bit extra grace required Right. And it's that it's that passive aggressive Christian way of saying they're just a pain in the ass. So rogues to me are a bit of a pain in the ass as a dungeon master. They require a lot of extra planning and grace to make sure that the player is happy with what they have. Right. Mm -hmm. And what they have is so much. So it requires so much work when it get it right. It's great. It's beautiful. It's it's a work of art. But it's so easy to get wrong. And if you are having a slow day as a DM, which happens, it's going to be the rogue player. It's going to be the rogue that suffers the most for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like rogues. I wish they weren't as mechanically powerful as they are, but I like the, I like the flavor that their subclasses give them, I guess. It's true. What about you, Jeff? Final thoughts? Brain blank. <laughs> we love rogues. We yeah. love rogues. <laughs> As much as they can be frustrating to deal with, a party that doesn't have a rogue suffers. Is almost harder to DM for than a party that has one in several important ways. Mm-hmm. There are challenges you really can't put in front of a party that doesn't have a rogue. Yeah. So sure. if you if you do, you have to allow for things like smashing doors down that can't be unlocked. Not be like there are things a rogue does that are so necessary to the standard D and D experience. Mm-hmm. That we kind of have to put up with the bullshit to not have to run rings around our own plans to make a party without one work. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's been many instances in some of Adam's dungeons as a paladin, I've destroyed things because we didn't have a rogue. Or like, our rogues were just incompetent. Yeah. I was like, Speaking as it. the rogue. Well, you're special. And, <laughs> and the opposite, the opposite side of the coin to what Dan was saying, that you have to do a little bit of extra work to make sure that the rogue is having fun. The opposite side of that coin is if you don't handle it right, everyone but the rogue is not having fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the rogue is stealing thunder and taking things away from other players at the table because they just get there first where no one can see them to stop them because how many fucking times has a rogue stealth away from their own party where the players know what's happening but the yeah. characters can't do anything. So you, yeah, there's thought and effort and plan yeah. that goes into everyone being happy when you have a rogue being played excessively yeah yeah we're currently playing at a table right now where i there's a there's a rogue and i'm a monk and i'm just like they're like i can sneak away and do these things i'm like i can come too <laughs> i can do the same things that you can just not as great <laughs> and yeah yeah and then me and the cleric are just sitting in the back like yeah, they're gone again Goodbye. <laughs> which one of us is going to heal the one that's unconscious because one of them's to- unconscious <laughs> cleric turns to the paladin you want a granola bar <laughs> 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 some snacks it would definitely we have a it would definitely be our cleric that would have the snacks gotta get, yeah. <laughs> gotta get that protein bar so we have energy so when we have to go pull their asses out of a literal fire 
<laughs> well, are, are, are clerics a loxodon? So I just imagine like just a pouch full of peanuts. Yeah, just just <laughs> uh, like shelled peanuts too. Yeah, so you're just yeah, making yeah. a fucking mess all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Walking around like you're a Texas Roadhouse barbecue place. Mm. The floor is just covered in shells. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. That's how we make I need, trails. <laughs> I need to make a tavern in a city somewhere in my world that's just fucking Texas Roadhouse. Yeah. No. Delightful. Anyway. All right. So that is all for our discussion on warlocks for now. Uh, no. Warlocks. What? It's you said in the warlocks. Text. She read it without I'm... hearing it. It says warlocks. So it's rogues. Just say oh, rogues. Okay. Yeah. It is written. I'm reading. Oh, the tags on both of them. What the? Fuck? Yeah. So, what is the next episode? So, the next yeah. episode after this one is a hag episode. So, it's, it's another fun. hag episode. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let me let me quickly double check that. Yeah. <laughs> check what episode 161 is for me, please. Thank you. This is fun when you get to sit over here and not have to deal with any of the behind the scenes bullshit that you. 161 is hags and 147 is hags. They are both. So they were both hags. Perfect. All right. All right. So that's all for this discussion on rogues for now. We've got a lot more ground to cover with lots of other classes and subclasses. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Prepare yourselves for something horrifying next week, though, as we return to our detailed discussion about hags, warts and all. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass on the word to everybody you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Okay, bye. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. If you had to choose one 5th edition adventure module to be made into a video game, which one would you choose and why? Oh, fuck, we're rolling on this one, right? Yeah, let's do it. I just realized I don't have a dice. 11. 14. 6. All right, Jeff, answer your own question. Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Yeah. I love a dungeon crawl and combining D&D with like old school Diablo flavor in a ne- nearly never ending dungeon would be absolutely my shit. Oh man, I'm on board. Um, and like, I think of the same thing. My gut reaction was Icewind Dale. And then I'm like, fuck, that is a goddamn video game. Uh, yeah. So how about not that? Um, I honestly would love to see a um, Fallout level game built out of the domains of dread it's not an adventure Ooh. path sure i mean fuck you could do it with the uh beyond the witch uh wild beyond the witch light um module right now but like a fallout level fairy bullshit game Just jumping from domain to domain yeah right and like fighting hags and then switching over to fighting some sort of shadow lord but do yeah. you get power armor like fallout <laughs> It's just made of trees and shit. <laughs> Powered by pixie dust. <clears throat> Sweet baby angel. <sighs> Man, I would just, I, okay, I would just want straw to everything. So, um, but then I realized that Devil May Cry is basically that.
But then at the same time, I would like a remake, a better remake of Devil May Cry. Because the current Devil May Cry is not working. It does not age well. Let's put it oh. that way. <laughs> so well, you don't like Sad Boy Strad. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't played the new Devil May Cry yet. I think the last Devil May Cry I played was two, maybe three. Well, the new ones are orb collector bullshit. Like, don't even. It's just oh. stupid. Okay. Hot takes. Hot takes. Hot cakes. Hot takes. Hot pancakes. Do rogues like pancakes? Do rogues? Yes, they, of course. They matter. Course. They're Who fucking rational it? human beings with an intelligence score that <clears throat> love fucking pancakes. Hold They're on. definitely they, not though? waffle assholes. Hold on. They're wait, wait. rogues. Are they rational? I was going to say, are you guys waffle people or pancake people? I'm 100% a pancake person. 100%. Pancake? Yeah. They're Jeff? faster and easier to make in the morning for myself. So pancakes. Love a good waffle. See, okay. So when I found out that my wife was pregnant with our uh, with the twins, I made it my personal mission to memorize and have like the perfect pancake recipe that mm. I could just do, right? So I did it. And now I make fucking phenomenal pancakes. He do the pancakes. And do, then do be good at pancakes. <laughs> and then lo and behold, my children hit six years old and go, we don't like pancakes. We like waffles. I'm like, fucking God. <laughs> Cause I put a lot of fucking work into memorizing that goddamn recipe. You just got to be getting a waffle iron and you're done. My guy. Well, I, I have a waffle iron and now I've had to perfect waffles, but like I, whenever I do, I make sure I make myself some pancakes. Cause I'm definitely a pancake person. I discovered a cheat code last week. Okay. You get uh breakfast sausage patties. Okay. And then you cook them and you roll them in pancake batter and you put them back in the pan. That is the most American thing I've ever heard. And I love that for no, you. The most American, thing, <laughs> most American thing to that would be then take them out. And with the resulting grease that's left in there, add Keep some frying. flour, some milk and everything, make a gravy out of it. And then just make sausage biscuits and gravy out of pancakes. It's American though. So it has to have sugar. So we're going to do fake syrup and powdered sugar on top. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not Canadian maple, like just no, your, own, no. your own shit. Yeah. Too, Megan, have you never had? Us. Have you never had sausage uh, biscuits and gravy? No. Oh man, uh, like uh, my wife's from Ohio, but a lot of her family's in Tennessee. So like, I got a lot of Southern influence. Went down there once. We may shit on them as Canadians for their poor dietary choices, but as God you fucking should. damn, is it good? Oh, is it? It's just it's fucking good. <laughs> anyways this was a very good tangent that we just hit yes right here. yes it is sorry you got me talking about food <laughs> while we're on a rogue episode of fuck rogues idea for the next podcast <laughs> food <laughs> it's a breakfast uh for my birthday i got the uh heroes feast book the DD cookbook we so did, yeah, yeah we can legit do a cooking show we challenge Dan that every D&D game we have, he has to make us something out of that book. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking right at you. I don't know if you can tell. Yes. Me. No, I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, will. <laughs> yeah, I get it. The first thing will be the drinks, the mixed drinks with absinthe. That'll be the first thing we do. I have absinthe. I can bring it to the next sesh if we want and, some absinthe. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Any all. So hot takes yes. <laughs> for uh, rogues and tashes. <laughs> What if the waffle looked like Mickey Mouse? Would you eat it then? <laughs> uh, no, I'm okay. Don't get me wrong. I'll still, I'll still go to town on a waffle. Like I'm not saying I will be offended if I'm fed waffles. I'm just, if there's a choice, I'm choosing pancakes, but I will still destroy a waffle. 
Okay. Right? It's very I don't much care just, what it's, shapes it's in. It could be a dick shaped waffle. That thing's <laughs> going into my mouth and I'm going to enjoy it. All right. Okay. Homework for Megan. Bring Dan dick shaped waffles to the next game you play together and make him eat them and take pictures in slow motion. In yeah. slow motion. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously. With like whipping cream from the can. Yeah. And gravy. <sighs> All right. Note to self waffle day. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that, we're just going to fucking end it there for real. <laughs> I just forgot a joke I meant to make in the last episode and completely fucking kicking myself for no, it. With the fathom, what is it? The Fathomless Warlock. I'm disappointed that they don't have a class feature called Tentacular Fortitude. <gasps> oh. Damn it. Whoever's editing this episode, please remove that clip and put it in the previous episode. Thank you. <laughs> the, the problem is this is episode 160. Fathomless Warlocks is 146. Yeah. I had it on the tip of my tongue and it was waiting for the opportunity to throw it in and then got sidetracked by something and it was gone. Yeah. Oh, sorry, my God guy. damn it. I'll, I'll have hard. to make a note. I will make a note in the breakdown that every editor has to look at. Let's go to 160 <laughs> at roughly whenever the fuck we are right now, around half an hour in. Forget the pancakes. The, <laughs> yeah, if you hear pancakes, keep going. <laughs> if you hear actual content... You've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> all right. So, all right. So I'm going to, uh, I can word good. Yay. <laughs> oh my God. What the fuck? 